Hi there, a quick note before we begin the episode. Did you know that Atlas Lingue has its own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life. In this audiobook, we share additional exclusive commentaries on each episode with brand new insights and examples on the subject that we can't stop thinking about, how humans translate everything that comes their way. Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I speak English and French. Ciao, parlo italiano e inglese. There are a few things I remember from my very early childhood. Most of my memories of that period are blurred and distant. But there's one thing I'll never forget. End of the year recitals. That awful moment of the year when parents would gather in a huge echoey room turned amphitheater. And they'd listen to us recite the same old tales. For example, growing up in Mexico, I remember listening to the tale of La Llorona the wailing soul of a woman who mourned her dead children. Although I gotta admit, as I grew up, it was responsible for more than a few nightmares. But you might be wondering, what does this have to do with translation and languages? Well, there is a kind of shared universal experience there. This passion for tales and stories doesn't fade with age. It just evolves. It turns us into avid readers and addicted viewers of movies and TV series. Welcome to Atlas Lingue, the show where we talk about languages, about the joyful, the challenging, and the joyfully challenging aspects of everyday communication. I'm Luis Lopez, and today we're going to explore the elements of storytelling that make a story universal.
entertainment providers have been tapping into our itch for storytelling for decades, and they always come up with new ways to tickle our fancy. I've grown up in a world where Hollywood was king. American culture and dubbed English-speaking movies have been dominating the box office. It's the reason we all know about the questionable North American traditions of fraternities, cheerleaders, and beer pong. Before the 2010s, non-English-speaking movies were relegated to niche movie theaters for cinema nerds, if you were lucky. And then came home entertainment on demand. And it's been tilting the needle towards other cultures and languages. Nowadays, you're pop culture illiterate if you haven't watched TV series like the Korean Squid Game and the Chinese The Untamed. But cultural differences may represent an obstacle to the widespread diffusion of a story. Which makes me think, if these shows become popular, there must be a lowest common denominator to the storytelling equation. How does a story become global? Are there any storytelling devices that work in every language? Once upon a time, there was a studio called Disney that adapted stories for children which came from all over the world. Now, in our time, how do we continue to create new stories that can mystify audiences in faraway lands? To complete our quest, we might need the help of a storytelling wizard, or at least someone with a little more experience. I'm Matthew Lunn, and I am a filmmaker, which basically means I am a storyteller. Matthew may not be the hero of our saga, but he is a bit more than your average storyteller. After all, he works for the company that basically invented digital animation, Pixar. I've met people from all walks of life in my time, and each one of them knew Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, or Cars, just to name a few, no matter where they came from. Well, Matthew has worked on every one of those. This is the interesting thing, is that Unlike other studios that make live action or animated films, all of those film ideas were developed in-house. It is indeed interesting, because Pixar's audience is worldwide. I wonder, what are the elements that make Pixar films resonate across so many cultures? We share stories to be able to find significance in our lives, to be able to make sense of why we're born, why we get older, why we die, um, why we fall in love, why we get our hearts broken. All of those mysteries of life, why we're here. I love being able to disguise these big story ideas and emotional moments with cartoon characters. But I would say the storytelling that's going on in those really good Pixar films um, are, are really storytelling techniques that the best directors have used since cinema's going, been going on. But 
One of the mistakes that people were making in animation for a long time before was that animation is just for kids. He's right. I can't think of a more grown-up film than Onward. In time, Pixar stories have become more and more intergenerational. <sighs> that is, if your inner child is well asleep and doesn't have the time to indulge in watching Toy Story on repeat. Anyway, Pixar movies transcend generations, but there's more to these movies than meets the eye. Here's the perfect recipe to appeal to audiences from all corners of the globe. The aspects of good storytelling, there's many, but the things we're really thinking about is what does the main character want? What is their goal? And that becomes the outer conflict of the story. Do they want to defeat the dragon? Do they want to rescue a character? Do they want to find the golden fleece? But if you just have a story that's just that goal-driven outer conflict, it can feel kind of empty. The next thing you need to add is an inner conflict. How does the character change through their journey to get that thing? Do they end up going from being a very arrogant individual to becoming compassionate? Or do they go from like Harry Potter, very timid to being brave? You need to have a character change and that's called the inner conflict. Then if you really wanna do a great job, then you also wanna add in the last part, which is the philosophical conflict. And that is the way everybody in that film thinks about the world can the characters change and their epiphany change the way the rest of the world thinks? Whoa, slow down, Matthew. I'm taking notes here. Okay, recipe for perfect storyline potion. One-third outer conflict, one-third inner conflict, and one-third philosophical conflict. Although I'm still not completely sure what that last one means. When Monsters, Inc., by the end of the film... Sully goes from being naive, I'm just doing my job, I scare kids for a living, then ends up realizing kids aren't toxic and I, I need to be more aware of what I'm doing and how what I do affects people. But then at the end of the film, the whole monster company goes from not scaring kids anymore. There's a philosophical change, which is let's make kids laugh instead and we can still create this energy. Okay. By the way, don't worry if you feel like this potion has too many ingredients. After all, it has to be enough to bewitch the whole family. There are universal themes that all people share in common, all cultures, all genders, all ages. Now, when you're making a film like the Pixar films, we will call those four quadrant films, which is basically, can you hit the four quadrants? Can you connect this movie with all men and all women? and all adults, and all kids. So man, woman, kid, adult. Then on top of it, every culture. Now that becomes more tricky because stories, there are different things in them sometimes. But the thing that keeps all cultures interested as well is if you have universal themes in your story. For example, no matter where I am in the world, everybody 
has experienced wanting to fall in love. So when you watch some of these Pixar films I've worked on, every one of those at the heart of the film has one of those universal themes. Finding Nemo, wanting to keep someone you love safe and secure. Um, Toy Story films, the fear of abandonment. What if I'm replaced with a cooler toy? What if my owner throws me away? Um, Wally. It's just about a robot who wants to fall in love. So these universal themes is what ends up bridging the gap to make sure that every culture can relate to it. It's, it's, it's not a magic trick. Well, truth be told, I do believe there is a little magic involved, but I think Matthew prefers another word to describe it. There is a science to storytelling when you think about what kind of chemicals you want to release in an audience. That when you have a moment where people are happy, looking forward to something, anticipating something, it releases dopamine in any person around the world. And when you release dopamine, it makes people hyper-focused and it makes them retain information really well. Well, first of all, I'm glad Matthew agrees with our chemistry metaphor. And luckily, there's one ingredient for the storytelling potion that can be found anywhere in the world. And that is why stories all around the world have always had this beginning, middle, and an end. So when you remove those pieces from a story, you are limiting your audience so much. Now, if you want to make an anti-structure story that doesn't have a, a middle or a beginning, you can do that. But just know you're not going to be connecting with everybody in the world. The second thing that's always been happening in these stories around the world, there's always a protagonist or a hero or a multi-protagonist, a group of heroes. The reason for that is because we all, our human psyche, all people around the world, we see ourselves as a hero on a journey. I'm not that sure this is always the case. I mean, I think of cultures where the individual is not at the center of the universe, and I wonder how the hero's journey connects to them. For instance, for the Chinese or the Japanese, collectivity is what really matters. Or maybe it's because to the monopoly of American movies, these cultures have simply gotten used to the joys of the individual narration. There is a sense in which we have been listening to the same stories over and over and over again, because, well, we must admit that some stories stick more easily than others. And that's what, what is usually referred to as the classic plot. Sometimes it is referred to as the hero's journey. Essentially is the probably the most common narrative structure that we can find in which there is a singular individual with a goal and the goal is particularly difficult and daunting to achieve. This is Rodolfo Maggio, a writer and anthropologist. And initially the individual is not really up for the challenge and refuses the challenge and eventually accepts the idea that they that he or she has to go towards that goal and overcoming the challenge changes the individual into a different person. So in a sense, the narrative structure splits between um, achieving the challenge and achieving 
the potential of your destiny. Superman, anyone? But this also reminds me of the ancient Greek myth of Hercules, and of the protagonist of probably the most translated book in human history. Well, I would say that it's no wonder that people who have been brought up in Western culture might be particularly fond of the narratives that we can find in the Bible, because our civilization has been deeply influenced by those narratives. The idea that you can take responsibility for your destiny and bear your cross, despite the highly likelihood that you will die as a consequence of taking responsibility for your destiny, and that you take responsibility as an individual, is a founding myth of our civilization, of the Western world. The idea that we are individuals facing challenges and that we can overcome them, to me, it's a very, very useful narrative because, you know, at some points in life, you just want to give up. But if you have been told that there is something after you embracing the challenge, you know, that's a lot of, that gives you a lot of motivation. It's true. We all connect to those challenges at an emotional level. And most of us identify with them. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Sort of this kind of idea that the, the hero's journey is the universal narrative is an idea that has been produced in the United States, which obviously is the most individualist country in the world, in which there is an idea that the, the individual has responsibility for his own destiny, um, regardless of relationships, regardless of obligations, regardless of anything you need a population of people who are ready to give up everything to pursue their personal goals in order to get there. But I'm saying the idea that the hero's journey is universal is the product of a culture that could only produce that kind of narrative as a universal. I get it. On the one hand, we are alone on our life journey, and on our path each and every one of us will have to overcome challenges. So the hero narrative helps us cope when we feel overwhelmed by chaos. But there are some limits to it. We are part of a collectivity. We relate to each other. We are something more than just a narcissistic individual who pursues their dreams. So there must be other ways of telling a story. 
ways that go beyond the single narration that sings the praises of the white male hero. Well, I would say there are very, very different ways of telling stories in different cultures. Apparently, content is not the only factor that can drive a plot on stage, at least according to the Japanese. The no theater, like these are all not only narrative structures, but narrative strategies, including using the voice and using the body and also using the soul. Because so much of Japanese um, communication is not based on action, it's much more based on feelings. Um, have you ever heard of the um, expression kuki o yomenai? The meaning of kuki o yomenai is not being able to read the air. So when someone from abroad comes to Japan and doesn't understand what a group of Japanese immediately understand, even if nothing has been said, it's because that person is not able to read the air. So much of what is being communicated is invisible, but is present somewhere in the ether, somewhere in the air between those people. Very much so in the narratives presented at theaters or even in movies, in Japanese cinema, we cannot really feel that unless we make a genuine effort to connect with the person who's narrating the story. I never thought that narration could move forward only by interpreting how the storyteller and listener feel. I was aware that East Asian cultures tend to make communication implicit, but the Japanese brought it to the next level. And, as Rodolfo intelligently pointed out, Western viewers would just experience kukiyomenai when put in front of such a story, or of a story without a hero. In China, I have been so fascinated by the Monkey King narrative because according to uh, the narrative structures we are used to, this story just goes in so many different directions and uh, the hero of the story doesn't really seem to provide a model for a, an ideal human being to be. So when, as you listen to the story of the Monkey King, you don't feel like, oh yeah, I would like to be like this guy. The Monkey King is the main character of Journey to the West, a Chinese novel written during the Ming Dynasty. So you're not really sure what this story is telling you, because the Monkey King, essentially this very powerful flying monkey, uh, he can do a lot of things, but everything he does with his power is essentially to uh, disturb harmony and to upset things, very much like a sort of uh, trickster. and. Uh, Again, I don't really get what are we supposed to learn from this story. Because you see, I'm starting from the assumption that there is a, a sort of moral of the story that I have to learn. In many ethnographies, we find that way of narrating the world is the ultimate way of perceiving and presenting reality with skepticism. Like, we will never be able to control the chaos of all the information we receive. And ultimately, 
the only thing we can aspire to do is to give a testimony. A story with no morale? I wish we had those when I was a kid, instead of having to listen to stories of wolves and ogres eating kids. Stories that were meant to scare me out of trusting strangers. Luckily, we live in fantastic times in terms of cultural diversity. If I were a kid nowadays, the internet would give me access to free content from all over the world. I would say that nowadays there are the conditions to make narratives from all over the world to be circulated in a much more free way. And in that sense, it would be a pity to let something like a universal narrative that was originated in the US to gain primacy. At the same time, I want to see the positive aspects of a universal narrative, quote unquote, like the hero's journey or the goal-oriented journey. That is, storytellers, unluckily, are slaves to their audiences. And so, convoluted postmodern storytelling doesn't help. To relate to a broader public, the classic plot, the one with the hero as a main character, makes knowledge more easily accessible. So, is this it? Do we have to stick to the one hero's story and miss out on the possibility of getting lost in Kuki Yomenai? Well, I think streaming services are changing things around. Think of how the Chinese drama The Untamed became popular. And, of course, Squid Game. It's obvious that there's a diversity of languages becoming popular in film and TV, and these are gaining influence slowly and steadily. But how has The Untamed become such a global phenomenon? So this genre is similar with martial art when it comes to the fighting scenes, as well as the depiction of friendship, the righteousness, uh, the word of honor, um, the justice also incorporate many very Chinese elements that is based on Chinese mythology and philosophy such as Taoism, Buddhism, um, and other Chinese traditional elements. So it can be difficult for non-Chinese audiences to absorb at the very beginning because of the heavily and densely packaged historical references and information within those stories but i always think something that is the local culture something that is enjoyed by chinese people could also become global dong chenho is a lecturer in chinese language literature and film in the department of asian studies at the university of british columbia if you sincerely deliver and make those shows digestible to non-Chinese audiences, then they can get the beauty of this. And uh, I believe the Chinese mythologies and Chinese philosophies is so interesting and fascinating to not only me, but also non-Chinese audiences to create a fantasy that they can imagine, right? To create such a different whole structure of imagination, a whole society of order that is different from the mainstream society. But stories like The Untamed are like orange chicken, 
a westernized Chinese invention, and their strategy is not necessarily new. Chinese cinemas, in, in the general, uh, did have a face of trying to cater to Western audiences back in the 1980s. The Chinese directors um, were also trying to promote the Chinese society to the whole world. And uh, their filmmaking is also quite influential in the whole world as well, such as Conchin Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And we can see that that was the moment when many Chinese directors were trying to, or unconsciously, use the strategy of self-orientalism to try to cater to Western audiences in certain ways. Zhang Yimou, in his early life, he would, for example, depict rural China um, and to focus on the individuals in rural Chinese society and to focus on their personal struggles, individual experiences in the backdrop of significant historical and political movements, um, such as Cultural Revolution. And uh, later on, in the beginning of 2000s, I will say that was a time of the revival of martial art films. So martial art is, is obviously quite important genre that carried the Chinese elements and culture to the whole world. But we also see critiques mentioning that Ang Lee and Zhang Yimou would unconsciously or consciously self-orientalizing the Chinese cultures by portraying something the Western would want to watch. So movies at this time did succeed in bringing a taste of Chinese storytelling to the whole world. But is this not the whole picture? It's interesting to see this kind of transition from how the Chinese have actively depicted Chinese society to non-Chinese audience to what we are having right now, to have those dynamic and organic communication initiated by individual communication, individual uh, uh, conversation between friends, between colleagues, classmates, and they tell each other about how Chinese culture is like, and they recommend the sea dramas like The Untamed um, to get a taste of those traditional Chinese elements and how they can be repackaged and reincorporated into something that are popular among younger generation. Even if stories from abroad are made more digestible for the West, audiences still have a critical eye. As I said, popular culture is so important in spreading the soft power. And uh, don't underestimate your audience. Your audience is actually smart enough to get a taste of the Chinese culture, to get a taste of what it means. And they will eventually figure out, and they will fall in love. Maybe in order to tell stories that can reach far across the globe, we'll have to listen to stories from faraway lands as well. Translated stories have helped us in doing so. 
and this will change the way we tell stories in the West. But for the moment, these tales as old as time are what we know. After all, we've realized that our brain loves storytelling. And that's not simple liking, it's an actual chemical reaction. We all react to storytelling on a chemical level, with oxytocin. See why the chemistry metaphor was important? There is a universal storytelling pattern that makes all of us sensitive to how these stories are told. And all of our three experts agree. There must be something that unites us all as human beings, and uh, the narrative way of making meaning of existence is probably our stories to be able to find significance in our lives, to be able to make sense of why we're born, why we get older, why we die, um, why we fall in love. We all fall in love with stories that are emotionally engaged and emotionally involved. And if we can feel the love, the passion, the anger, or the kinds of struggles, the dilemma that the subject has been situated in, in the story, then we can naturally relate with him or her was in the story, no matter the specific, you know, cultural or political context the subject is, is in, right? Because those emotions can be easily translated from one culture to another. Thank you for listening to Atlas Lingue. I'm Luis Lopez, and it has been a pleasure to accompany you on this journey. Special thanks to our guests Matthew Lund, Rodolfo Maggio, and Dong Chen Ho. Production and theme by Studio Ochenta. Sound design by Chiara Santella. Senior producer, Glitzia Sala. Assistant producers, Haley Choi, Leo Ibanez, Leia Zipstein, and Clark Marchese. For more information on Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta original series and podcast, visit ochentastudio.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ochenta Podcasts. Our podcast is available on CastBox, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country, and we're not going anywhere. 
yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, Latina-produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, Check out the Pulsa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.